We're going to go to the book of Mark today in the second chapter, and we're going to just uh, read some portions of Scripture, just kind of work our way uh, through the first part of that chapter, and uh, just kind of take it a few verses at a time, and just see what God would speak to us, what God would say to us. And I believe that, uh, I believe there's something in the air. Elijah told Ahab that there was a sound of abundance of rain in the air. I, I believe there's something in the air. And uh, just uh, by some of uh, the talk that I've been hearing, I'm not the only one thinking this. I'm not the only one feeling this. I believe that God is up to something. Amen. And I'm just so thankful to be a part of it. And uh, I couldn't pick a finer group of people that I would want to share what I believe that God is going to to do, amen, in and through this body of believers for East Texas. Let me uh, begin this morning in Mark chapter 2 and read the first two verses of Scripture to you today at the New Living. I believe we'll have these on the screen for you today as we move through them. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door, while he was preaching the word to them. We're going to stop right there. And uh, it's that second word that uh, just kind of stands out to me in these verses of Scripture. It's very plain to see that Jesus stands out beyond anything else. He just stands out greater than anything else. And not just here, but always. Jesus is a difference maker. Jesus is the difference maker. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. But you add the manifested presence of Christ to the mix of anything, and the whole thing is transformed. There has been a lot of births throughout the course of time. But when you added the manifested presence of Christ, Through the birth a little over 2,000 years ago, it just transformed everything. Angels were singing. Angels were announcing. Shepherds were coming. Wise men were coming. Gifts were being brought. Cattle and sheep, camels were even singing. It was just a wonderful sight. The star was shining brightly. There had been hundreds of men crucified in that day. But you add the manifested Christ to the cross, and it absolutely transforms everything. There were many people buried and put in the tombs in those days. But you add the manifested Christ to the tomb, and it transforms everything. He transforms a marriage when he is manifested in it. He'll transform a business when he is manifested in it. He'll transform a family when he is manifested in it. He'll transform an entire school district when he is manifested in it. And he'll transform a church when he is manifested in it. Christ is the difference maker. The only thing that set Simon's house apart from any other house in that neighborhood was the fact that Jesus was inside of it. If you would have walked through that neighborhood before Jesus got there, that house would not have stood out. It would not have looked any different than any other house in that neighborhood. But the moment the manifested Christ put inside that house what was just another house with plenty of room for visitors became a jam-packed place. Wow. Jesus makes the difference. 
Jesus makes the difference. Now, Christ must be positioned in a way that he can be seen. And I'm not going to get into any theological debate with anyone concerning this subject of whether Jesus is there or not. But if others can't see him, what difference does it really make? Think about that. If we don't position Jesus in the church, if we don't position Jesus in our lives, to a place that others can see him, then what are we really doing? What difference does it really make? And we can say that we house Jesus all day long. We can say we house him in this church. We can say we house him within our earthly temple. We can say that all day long. We can try to convince ourselves and try to convince others. But if we don't put him in a place to be seen, nothing really changes. Nothing really changes. When others can see the Lord in our walk, in our talk, in our expressed thoughts, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. When we can manifest Christ in love, it makes a difference. When we can manifest Christ in forgiveness, it makes a difference. When we can manifest Christ in something as simple as a smile, it makes a difference. When we can manifest Christ in a compliment, or affirming someone, it simply makes a difference in everything. I I don't care what it is. Like I said earlier, a, a, a death, a business, a church, a family, a marriage, a checkbook. When Christ is manifested, when the word is actually lived out, James encourages us not to just be a hearer of the word, but to be a doer of the word. You know, it's not enough to know the Word. It's not enough to have knowledge. But there must be a demonstration. This body that we dwell in, we're body, soul, and spirit. This body that we dwell in is simply to express the life of Christ that lives within it. And when we do that, we make a difference. Because of the Christ that lives within us. The world needs to see Jesus. Because he is the difference maker. You know, a lot of us are wondering, are we making a difference? If you are manifesting the Christ that lives within you, you are making a difference. You cannot measure the difference that you make for Christ by the outward things that happen. Heaven will be the only thing that can reveal the fullness of what happens in one's life that manifests the Jesus that lives within them. If you go trying to number how many people got saved, if you go trying to number how many people were filled with the Holy Ghost, if you begin to try to number how many people were called to apostles or, or, or pastors or prophets or evangelists or teachers, if you try to number how many musicians or, or how many singers were raised up under you, or if you try to number how many good cooks you raised up, some of you have the talent to cook. We're fixing to find out here in just a minute. I mean, and don't get your mind there on those desserts. Keep, keep them here. 
but it makes a difference. It makes a difference. I assure you, I promise you, it makes a difference. Sometimes we see that beautiful life as it transforms. But there's other times the seed that we sow through the Christ that lives within us and through his power is never revealed to us. We, we never, somebody else comes along water and maybe on down the line. We may already be shouting on streets of gold. Our spirit with the Lord. But because you manifested Jesus, because somebody saw Jesus in your life, it made a difference. I promise you it makes a difference. Moving to verse 3 and 4. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Four men. Four. Arrived at the door of the house carrying a crippled man on a bed. They were expecting... Look at your neighbor and say, expecting to get their paralyzed buddy face-to-face with Jesus. I don't don't know whether they came from the house, whether they came from the local hospital. I, I don't know how close they were to this guy. He may have been family, may have been an uncle, may have been a dad, may have been a brother, may have just been a friend, may have been a boss. I don't know. But four men came carrying this crippled man on a bed, and what they expected was to get their buddy on that bed face-to-face with Jesus. But they couldn't because of the unexpected. Look at your neighbor and say, unexpected. Tell your neighbor the unexpected is different than the expected. Thank you for helping me preach this morning. I need all the help I can get. I need some help sometimes to get through. The unexpected disrupts the flow of life. How many believe that? Just humor me and raise your hand. The unexpected disrupts the flow of life, as usual. Just our usual lifestyle. When something unexpected happens, it, it disrupts that. Thursday, I had my day all planned out. I just thought my dad was just going to the hospital just to have a little consultation with the doctor. We requested prayer for him. Thank you for all those that prayed. He was having some chest pains, and he was having some pains in his left arm. He was having shortness of breath. And so he went to his doctor Monday, and and they set him up with a cardiologist, and he went Thursday, and I just thought he was going to just be evaluated and to just discuss what they would do. I get a call from my mom, and they're fixing to take him in and do a heart cat on him. And then they say, hey, if it needs stents, we're going to do that. If it needs further uh, treatment, we're going to come out, talk with the family, and we'll go from there. So, I mean, I had my schedule all planned out for Thursday, but then that unexpected phone call came, and it disrupted the flow of life as usual for me. So I spent all day at the hospital. I spent all day at the hospital. But thank God they was able to go into my dad's uh, through his veins and and put two stents in, he was 90% blocked in one and 70 to 75% in another, but very successful. Talked with him yesterday, uh, no pains, breathing fine. He's at home today, just resting. Uh, so I thank God for that, and I thank you for your prayers. Uh, God is good. But what I'm trying to get across here, the unexpected can disrupt our usual flow of life. And when that happens, a lot of people, it causes them to withdraw back to where they came from. When things begin to disrupt our life, it causes us to withdraw into back to old habits, back to old places, back to old thoughts. 
back to a comfortable place, back to a safety zone. I want to say this, and I want you to listen. If you want to write it down, write it down, but I want you to get this. This is a powerful statement that God gave me. Unless your desire for the attention of God, that's what these men were looking. They were looking to get Jesus' attention. Unless your desire for the attention of God exceeds the unexpected hurdles of life, you'll never find the resting place at Jesus' feet. That's exactly where they found. He ends up at the feet of Jesus as the story goes on, and we're going to get there. But they came And they were expecting to get the attention of Jesus. But what they got was an unexpected crowd and there was no way for them to get to Jesus. If their desire for the attention of God that day does not supersede the unexpected, they never find the resting place at the feet of Jesus. We need a greater hunger for the attention of God. The the hunger of these men, the thirst of these men, were so great, I like this, that it created a new entrance to where Jesus was. Now, that is a strong desire to see Jesus. Can you imagine what would have happened if I would have had that kind of desire this morning and you would have had that kind of desire this morning and the praise team would have had that kind of desire this morning? Can you imagine where we'd be right now? Our feet probably wouldn't even be on the ground. That's not a rebuke. I think the presence of God was thick in this house this morning. I think the beauty of his holiness has filled this auditorium in our lives. And I just feel great and bubbly. Just almost like I could maybe, you know, just do a little jig or something. But the moment I become satisfied with where I'm at, is the moment that I have not the, is the moment that I will not receive the greater that God has for me. They were so great that it just created a new entrance to where Jesus was. How hungry are you this morning? How hungry are you for God's attention this morning? Will the thirst of your spirit tear off the roof of the normal so that you can make an abnormal entrance into the presence of God? That'll turn a verbal sermon into an object lesson concerning your life? Because that's exactly what happened here. It says that Jesus was preaching the word. He was preaching the word to them. That's what was going on in the house. But by the end of that day, their hunger and their desire was so strong that they they, they tore off the roof. They created a new entrance to get to Jesus. Something that would get them beyond the unexpected. And right down to the very resting place of Jesus. And that verbal sermon became an object lesson. That <laughs> Jesus just began to use the man on the mat as an object lesson to the rest of the world. Because of hunger, because of a desire, because of a thirst or more of God. My appetite needs to change. I'm just going to be honest with you this morning. I know that y'all are holy and everything. And, and, but hey, I need an appetite change. My appetite needs to change. I need a greater hunger, a greater thirst, and a greater desire for the attention of God in my life. I'm not what I used to be, but I'm not what I'm going to be. I'm a work in progress. But my eyes are on him, and I refuse to allow the unexpected to keep me from getting where I need to be. It's time for us to tear the roof off some stuff. 
to get where we haven't been able to get with God. When the unexpected shows up, do the unexpected. Do the unexpected. Do what you didn't expect yourself to do. Do what the devil didn't expect you to do. Do what the demons of hell didn't expect you to do. Do what your spouse didn't expect you to do. When that bill came in the mail and you didn't have the money to pay it, she expected you to get in the mully grubs. She expected you to start singing, bloom, despair, and agony on me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, we'd have no luck at all. Yeah, that's what she expected. Because that's what you've been doing every time. Do the unexpected. Glory to God, we got a chance for a miracle here in this house. Whoo! <laughs> when the unexpected shows up, do the unexpected. Nobody expected. They were all in that house. Nobody expected the roof to start to be tore off. I don't know, the day might come that this building gets packed and before we can go to two services, somebody's out there needing to get in, they can't get in, somebody starts staring. That's the unexpected. Yeah. Yeah, here these people are listening to Jesus. Oh man, that's a great sermon. Woo, amen, glory to God. All of a sudden... Somebody's doing the unexpected. It wasn't even their house. You, you imagine going over this neighborhood down here and climbing up on somebody's roof and start tearing it off? Their hunger was greater than the thought of them getting arrested. Their thirst was greater than spending the night in jail. They were hungry for the attention of God and they were willing to do whatever it took to create another entrance to get to where Jesus was. Wow. How hungry are we? When the unexpected shows up, do the unexpected. I know after preaching this, I'm going to get tested this week. That didn't even occur to me to just now. I'm glad it didn't. I may have not have preached that. Wow. I had to go there, didn't I? My wife can let you know if I pass the test. If I do the expected... <laughs> or if I do the unexpected. I don't know. Our church clerk may be able to let you know as soon as church is over. <laughs> Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Well, let me, let me go back. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 verse 5, Brendan. I'm sorry. Mark chapter 2 verse 5. Seeing their faith... Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Their pursuit of Christ exposed their faith to such a degree in the physical realm that the Bible said Jesus saw it. That's that's some great faith. That's some powerful faith. That's the faith that I want to have. And I know that's the faith that you want to have. That's the faith I want to see us as a church have. It was so great. It was so powerful. It was so rich and so real. And it was so manifested into the physical realm that Jesus saw it. It, The Bible says Jesus seeing their faith. I mean, go back to the bill thing. You know, when you got a bill that you can't pay and you begin to rejoice and think, God for an opportunity, for a miracle. That's the kind of faith that God takes note of. That's the kind of faith that gets his attention. Jesus seeing their faith. This is the kind of, wow. This is the kind of faith that puts a demand 
on the virtue of Jesus. Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 8, verse 46 and verse 48. It puts a demand on the power. It puts a demand on the anointing. It puts a demand on the virtue. Luke 8, 46 and 48, New Living Translation. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me for I felt healing power go out from me. This is a story about the woman that had the issue of blood for 12 years. The Bible says that she had spent all of her money on physicians and doctors and she never got better. As a matter of fact, the Bible says she got worse. The Bible says that she said to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just get to Jesus and touch him, things will change. I know I'll be healed. She had heard about Jesus and there was a hunger and a thirst because she too had a crowd surround. There was a crowd surrounding and the Bible says that she came through the press. She had a hunger and a desire and a thirst and she made an entrance where there was no entrance to get to Jesus. And the Bible says that she touched him and because of her faith, It put a demand on the virtue. Jesus didn't say a word to the woman. She drove the power out of him with the touch of her faith in him. God's no respect to a person. I'm telling you this morning, your faith can draw the virtue, the power, the anointing out of Christ into your life. It puts a demand. Jesus said nothing. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't even know who touched him. He didn't even know if who touched him was worthy of that. But the thing is, they had faith. They had faith. They had faith. He didn't know if that woman had read her Bible this week. He didn't know if she had prayed. He didn't know if she had cooked down at the soup kitchen. He didn't know if she had paid her tithes that morning. No, 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 no. He didn't know any of that. But because of her faith, as soon as she touched him, her faith demanded that the virtue of Christ enter her. And the Bible says that immediately she was made whole. She even knew within herself. It's because of who Jesus is. And when your faith is trust is put in him, he's the difference maker. And he says to her in verse 48, daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your faith, your faith, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Faith demanded, I be healed. She was healed. That's the kind of faith that we're looking for. That's the kind of faith that we're striving for. These five men in our text and this woman with the issue of blood had this in common. They believed Jesus was the solution for the problem. And that, my friend, is a difference maker. See, do we really believe that he'll open the heavens over us and pour us out a blessing that we cannot conceive it of? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe he was born of the Virgin Mary, died on the cross, was buried on the third day? Do we believe he's coming back for us? Do we believe that he's the son of the living God? Do we believe that he is supplying all of our needs according to his riches and glory through and by and in Christ Jesus? Do we believe that all of God's promises are yes and amen in and through Christ Jesus? Do we believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore? Do we believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? Do we believe that he's able, do we really believe that he's able to do far abundantly, exceedingly more than anything we could ever ask, think, or imagine? Do we believe, do we have faith in him? Do we believe that he said what he meant and meant what he said? Do we believe that his words are God-breathed? Do we believe that this word is profitable for us? See, the thing that these people had in common is they believed Jesus was the solution for the problem, and that is the difference maker. Notice what Jesus says when he sees their faith. My child, your sins are forgiven. Scott, your sins are forgiven. Dylan, your sins are forgiven. Kylie, your sins are forgiven. 
Aaron, your sins are forgiven. Jim, your sins are forgiven. Mary, your sins are forgiven. Helen, your sins are forgiven. Jared, your sins are forgiven. Everyone that you have committed, everyone that you are committing, and everyone you'll ever commit, they're forgiven. Herman, your sins are forgiven. Brett, your sins are forgiven. Jadina, your sins are forgiven. That's what he told him. Because the Son of God has power here on earth to forgive sin. He wanted them to know that. Abriana, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? Because that's one of the biggest tools that Satan uses against us. Because if he can ever get you to believe that your sins isn't forgiven, you lose your identity. Notice what he says first. He says, my child. Then he says, your sins are forgiven. Notice what he said to the woman with the issue of blood. My daughter, your faith has saved thee. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has healed you. Your sins are gone. As far as the east is from the west. If you ever start walking east, you'll never find your sins. If you start walking west, you'll never find your sins. They're as far as the east is from the west. God identifies us as his children, sons and daughters, sons and daughters. And I love this song they were singing this morning. He identifies himself as Abba, Abba Father. That word Abba can be translated in the English as Papa, Papa, or Daddy, Daddy. He says, you can call me Daddy, or you can call me Papa. Or you can call me father. Only children. Only children. Get that. Abba, father. Daddy, daddy. Papa, papa. Wow, how beautiful is that? He not only identifies us, he identifies himself to us. And you know what the first thing is your adversary will attack? It's your identity in Christ. Matthew, we're going to put this up on the King James Version, but I'm going to read that the New King James Version. I just like the way it's worded. But watch this in Matthew chapter 3, verses verses 16 and 17. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God is speaking here. Now in Matthew, the very next chapter After Jesus is baptized, he's led to the wilderness. He's there for 40 days. Matthew 4 and 3, look what happens. Matthew 4 and 3. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. Now, if you are a child of God, then why is this happening to your life? Does that sound familiar to anybody? If you are a child of God, then how come you can't do this? If you are a child of God, why don't you do this? It's that word, if. It leaves a question mark. Leaves a question mark. If. And you see, the enemy doesn't even give you the whole truth. Because we are not only God's children, we're his beloved children. He said, if you are the son of God, he didn't say if you are the beloved son of God. What did his father just call him? You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But he puts the question in there, and even if, you get, if he can't get you with maybe leaving a question mark, yeah, then maybe he'll leave you short of your identity. I, I'm just a son. I, I, I think I'm a middle child. 
We ain't middle child. We're the babies of the family. We're spoiled rotten. Know who you are. We're the firstborn of the living God. But the enemy, he attacks our identity and who we are in God, trying to make us question. We're the very apple of his eye. Don't you ever question again who you are in him. You are a son and a daughter of the most high God. Beloved. The baby of the family. Let's get on a little bit further. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring this to a close. Mark 2, 6 through 9. Mark 2, through 6 through 9. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? Uh, uh, This is what I want us to see here. We need to be careful that we don't let the religious spirit rob us of what the Lord is trying to do among us. We need to be careful that we don't allow the religious spirit to rob us of what God is trying to do among us. Because some of us think if we're not legalistic, then we don't have a religious spirit. Baloney. Baloney. We get caught up in the methods of God instead of his principles. We get caught up in the methods of God instead of his principles. So you see, sometimes the church misses the work of God because the principles were not operating, because the principles were operating under a different method than we had labeled for it to operate under. And then we concluded, that's not God. That's a religious spirit. I, I, that's not God. Now, I, I, this, when God moves, he operates uh, this principle under this method. No, 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 no. That's a religious spirit, and when we take that stance, we miss a lot of what God is trying to do. Something great is about to happen in your life, and, oh, no, 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 that, that, that can't be God. No, 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 no. I'm people too churchy for me. If the principle lines up with the word of God, it really doesn't make a difference to what method it's used to manifest it. But a religious spirit will try to get everything to operate under a certain label. Jesus used many methods. Sometimes he spit on eyes. Sometimes he made mud. Sometimes he touched them. Sometimes he just spoke to them. Jesus used many methods, but the principle of healing was always the same. That's good stuff. My granddaughter, Abriana. Oh, Abriana, just stand up and just kind of turn around. Let everybody see how big and beautiful you are. Guys, if you're looking, she'll be available in about 40 years. When she was a toddler, she would say, baby can't like that. Baby can't like that. I had a singing fish in my office. She would go in there and I'd hit that singing fish to play. She'd say, baby can't like that. Baby can't like Baby can't like that. <laughs> Every single time, baby can't like that. And too many of us are saying that about the methods of God. I can't like that. Mm, I, I can't like that. I can't like that. If it's God's principle, what difference does it make? I can't like that. And we're missing out a lot of what God has for us with that closed-minded stance. Broaden your horizon. Let God out of your box and let him be God. Amen. Let's end it right here. Jesus goes on to say to the closed-minded group in Mark chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. Mark chapter 2, 
verses 10 through 12. Danny, I'm going to ask you and Sherry to uh, get ready to uh, come and uh, to just uh, pray uh, over uh, this uh, congregation in closing. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give this last point, uh, but if the two of you will, will, will uh, come, and, and I just want y'all to just kind of close us out with maybe just a, a prayer of however the Spirit leads you over this congregation concerning the sermon. Um, I'm not sure if you need Jason back there with the mics or not, but uh, anyways, in Mark chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, Mark chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, I think Jared's got it, Jason, thank you. Jesus goes on to say, and he's speaking to this closed-minded group. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. Notice that it's this kind of hunger and trust and status in God. It's this kind of desire, thirst, hunger. It's this kind of trust. It's this kind of belief. It's this kind of faith. It's knowing who God is, Abba Father, that status, and knowing who we are, sons and daughters, children of the Most High God, and that our sins are forgiven. Look at your neighbors and say, your sins are forgiven. that creates openings for us to move through in life that was closed off earlier. Do you see what happened there in the story? A moment earlier, and you couldn't have squeezed a greased pig through that crowd of people. That's some good old Texas hick preaching right there. You won't find that in Dallas, I guarantee you. You only get that kind of stuff right here in Gladewater. You probably won't even find that in Longview. But now, this man's moving furniture through that crowd. He's picked up his bed, and where he couldn't get through earlier, he's walking through there with his bed right now. And things are getting out of his way. Oh, man. I want to tell you, God loves you. God loves you. A whole new world begins to open for God's children and his church when we refuse to be denied. If the church wants to see what it's never seen before, then we're going to have to seek and trust God like we've never sought him and trusted him before. God, we just come before you this morning, Father. Lord, we thank you, God, for a place, God, that that we can come together, Father, and we can gather together as your children, Lord, and to dwell in your house. God, we thank you for the word, God. God, we want to move closer to you, Father. We want to move past our desires we want to move past the influences the crowd of people that keep us complacent God that keep us Father from moving forward God Father we just thank you Lord so much God your word God it needs to penetrate into our hearts and into our minds and into our very being that we would not hear the world but God that we would only hear your word
You're such a loving God. You're such a caring God. You forgive us of our, of our mistakes. You forgive us, God, when we make the bad choices in our lives, God. And you're always there for us. When everybody else has left, let us down. You're always there. You're the one that's always there, God. And I pray, I pray and I speak over the people, God. I speak life. I speak your word. That we would walk in it every day, God. And that we would see the manifestation of your presence. That we would see the signs and wonders and miracles, God. God, that we've already just begun seeing them, Lord. We want to see them every day, God. We want to see them every week, God. We want to see them on the hour, God. And God, you're not too big of a God that we can, that we can accomplish that. We can see that happen. We just thank you, Father. We thank you so much. Father, we just speak right now to the lying spirits that are trying to come against our minds. God, I pray that you drown out every other voice except yours. God, that we be able to hear your voice clearer than we've ever heard it before. Just as Pastor said about the identity, let us know who we are in you. For we were created by you in your image. For a purpose. Let us not get our eyes upon our surroundings and what might be going on. For Lord, we know that you've got a great and a mighty work for this body of believers. Let us be ready to receive the fact that you're going to do it a new way. Not the way you've done it in the past. Not even through the ones that you've done it in the past, but who you choose to do it through today. For this is your church. This is your time. God, let us put on a right mind. A right mind. Your mind. To follow in the path and the steps that you lay out before us. And to understand that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. For we are more than conquerors in and through and by Christ Jesus. Stir up an expectation in our spirits. No more complacency. No more going through the motions every day. No no more thinking that a day is going to be the same every day. But looking for that unexpected. Open our blinded eyes to see you, God, at work. To see what you're doing in people's lives. To know you've not forgotten about us. We're still on your mind. God, I pray, may you touch each and every person in this place today. Let them hold on to this word that has been spoken into this atmosphere, into our spirits. A timely word. Let 
Let us pursue you like we have never pursued you before, which will take off the limitations. For God, you are unlimited and nothing is impossible with you. Stir it up in us, God. Stir it up in us today. As we're drawing close to the end of 2013, stir up an expectation for the year 2014 to be even a greater year. God, let us begin to see those signs, wonders, and miracles like we have never seen before. Just as Sherry said, you've already... You've already been doing them. But God, we're ready to see you do things that you've never done before. Let your miracles take place in this house. In these houses. And most importantly, out there into the houses that we come into contact with, the people. God, open the windows of heaven, Lord, and pour out an anointing upon the people in this house to change lives. Let our faith rise up and create an expectancy. God, all we want is you to have your way. And your will to be done. We thank you, oh God, for your presence in this house this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing. And we thank you, oh God, for what's about to come. For we know, oh God, that great things are happening. Great things are on the way. Great things are in the working. For we can feel it in the atmosphere. Let our faith, God, be what launches it into existence today. Lord, I pray, God, that you just place your hand upon each one of us, Lord, as we leave this house. And we go, Lord, to our our separate homes, to our jobs, to our schools. Let us see you at work. Let us be a part of it. And God, let the testimonies come back, God, of what you have done because of faith arising to meet you. God, we just give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for what you've done, for what you're doing, and for what you're about to do. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we ask these things today. Amen and amen.